like they said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Welcome to those of you who are visiting with us for the first time. I see some new faces in the house today. And as always, we want to welcome those of you who are watching us virtually, whether you're watching us live or in person. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and the second best way to uh, view our service, the best way, of course, is in person. And if you can make it here, make it here. Before I get into the message today, I just want to mention that as we enter, as we move toward the fall season, we are engaged, as is our, uh, as is our rhythm at this church, we're engaging in 21 days of fasting and prayer. And some of you get to this uh, season of the year and you go, yes, opportunity to fast, to reset and reconnect and recalibrate. And others of you are like, I hate when they do that. Uh, regardless of whether you're excited or, you're, uh, or, or whether you're um, sort of going toward this with a bit of anger, uh, I think you should listen to the Holy Spirit, right? As the Holy Spirit nudges us all as a community toward this corporate reality, we see things that happen when we engage in a rhythm of fasting and prayer as a corporate community that we can't get on our own. And so this is an opportunity for you to search the rooms of your life and to survey what things have grown just sort of out of whack. What's competing with God for your attention and affection? And select those things to maybe lay those things down or reduce those things so that you might be able to engage with what God wants you to lean toward. And so we'll be talking about that over the course of the week, uh, of the uh, upcoming weeks. I just wanted to put that on your heart. Amen? So let me get into the message today. Um, some of you know my story. And as a young boy, I grew up on the south side of Chicago in a very homogeneous community. I'm a PK, so I grew up in churches. And so not only am I a PK, but my parents were church planters. And that's another layer of complexity to me, right? But all that changed for me when I graduated from high school and moved two and a half hours south to go to the University of Illinois. And down there, I learned and saw a whole lot of things. But one of the most interesting things, one of the most formational things that happened is I engaged a small group. I engaged a small group. Now, some of you, particularly if you've been involved in this church, you know what small groups are. They tend to be like Bible study groups, fellowship groups that meet outside of Sunday morning, right? But in this particular context, I was in an university small group, freshman on campus in 1999. Somebody knocked on my door, Asian brother by the name of Eugene, which is interesting because that's my full name, Eugene. And Eugene said, would you come to our small group, it's happening right down the hallway to the left, and I started going to this small group. Now, can you put that picture up real quick? I started going to this small group. If you can't pick me out in that picture, <laughs> I'm the brother right there toward the edge of the picture, and I was the only piece of chocolate in this small group, but God used this Bible study to really begin to do a work in my heart. We would go to large group meetings uh, on campus on Friday nights, several hundred students. But so much of the heavy lifting and the spiritual formation and the transformation, and might I add social formation, that was happening in my heart was happening in the context of that small group. And so if you know me and if you've been coming to this church for a while, you know that I will not shut up about small groups. And that's because since 1999, I have been actively engaged in small groups. And can I tell you, in the best possible way, I am ruined. I am ruined in the best possible way because those small groups, those men and women in those small groups have, by the power of the Spirit, changed the trajectory of my life. I'm standing here today 
I'm the man I am today because, mostly because of those small groups. Mostly because of what the work, the work that God has done in my life. And God did some amazing things in my life in really large rooms, in corporate settings like this one. But the heaviest lifting, somebody say the heaviest lifting. The heaviest lifting God did in my heart, he did in smaller rooms. And I want to talk about small groups this morning. We've been in the series, One Anothering, the last several weeks. And I think this is a fitting way to, uh, to continue this series. We've been talking about one anothering. And we've been talking about how all throughout Scripture, this term one another shows up over and over. And it's usually some instruction on how to care for and love other people. And it's often also uh, some faithful instruction on how not to engage other people. But centered in this uh, understanding and discourse on one anothering is what? The greatest commandment, right? It's uh, the foundation of our faith, loving God and loving people and figuring out creative, new, and exciting ways to live that out in community. And so far throughout the series, we've covered everything from self-awareness to honoring God and others with our online presence on social media. But today I want to continue this series by focusing on small groups because, especially in this church, it's a really important aspect of community life. We are a Christian community. We are just one flavor in the parlor of churches uh, that God has in this particular community. I am particularly partial to what we do here and who we are and who we are becoming, but we are just one flavor, right? The kingdom was here before we got here. But when I talk about Christian community, I talk, I'm talking about the local church community that God has called you and your family to go move towards and to begin to set down roots in, in our context. And I think in the Christian community in general, small groups are a huge part of that. I'm saying that as a person who's been actively involved in small groups for over two, two decades. And so this is really important. The local church is really important. Christian community is so important because I believe that what God wants to do in the earth, he will largely do it through his favorite vehicle, and that is the local church. I'll say that again. The things that are broken in the world that God wants to bring remedy, the ways that God wants to bring his kingdom, breaking into this fallen, broken world, he will largely do through his favorite vehicle, the local church. And if we were to zoom into our individual lives that God wants to change and transform and set us on mission, I believe that what God will use, his favorite tool to get the work done in you and me, is, you probably guessed it, the local church Christian community. And today I want to zero in on the aspect of community, uh, particularly small groups. I don't want to push down or de devalue what we're doing in larger rooms like this. But I will say that community mostly happens in circles and not rows. And if you've been hanging around for a while, you know that that's a famous slogan around here, push people towards small group and sm the smaller rooms of community. You're sitting right now in rows, right? You're staring at the back of somebody's head as you listen to somebody talk on a stage. That is wonderful. God is going to use more, use this room and what we do in this room in marvelous ways, but the deepest aspects of community, the heaviest lifting is done not in rows, you're sitting in rows right now, 
but it's done in circles. And I'm simply calling this message this morning, Circles Are Better Than Roads. Circles are better than rows. And of course, I'm talking about small groups. And for those of you who've been around for a while, you're actively engaged in small groups, this will just be a refresher for you. Those of you who have been around for a while and you've been actively ignoring small groups, <laughs> you have a tendency at this moment to try to check out. Maybe you'll pull out your phone. Maybe you'll pull out some reading material tucked in your Bible. So it's appear you're reading the Bible, but you're really looking at some kind of magazine. You're going to feel a great temptation to say, I ain't doing that. Well, the beautiful thing around here is you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do around here other than respect other people. But can I urge you this morning to lean in? Can I urge you this morning to ask the Spirit if you should go to a small group or not? Just see what he has to say, right? So there's something in this for everybody as I make an impassioned plea to lean toward small groups. Why? Because I've come to believe that fellowship is a discipline, right? Fellowship is a discipline, and some of us are wired to move really quickly toward social interaction and groups of people because you're just extroverted and you recharge with other people, and yet there are others of us who are, being, are, are lean is away from people. And so for us, fellowship is a real discipline. It's something that we have to surrender to the Lord. It's something that we have to force ourselves to do. But I'm here to tell you today that it's worth doing because fellowship is one of the disciplines. And so we're going to talk about small groups today. I'm going to be in a passage of scripture in Acts chapter 2. If you can meet me there in your Bibles this morning, I'm going to use that short text as just a springboard for our discussion today. Acts chapter 2. There are Bibles on the edges of your rows. You can feel free to use those Bibles. You can also interact with the uh, text through your mobile devices and your phones um, while you find Acts chapter 2. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for all you're doing in this community. I thank you for this beautiful multi-ethnic, multicultural community that you've blessed us to be a part of. And whether we have cemented our participation in this fellowship or we're kicking the tires and just inspecting whether or not this is for us, Lord, I just pray that you would meet us in this place as we talk about the values of circles over rows. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today? Would you till the soil of our hearts so that you can plant in this dirt whatever you'd like? Give us a posture of listening and receptivity and help us to respond to you in a way that you would find pleasing today. Come Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Acts chapter 2, I'm going to begin at verse 42, uh, and it reads as follows, they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. And this small snippet of scripture is situated in the earlier chapters of the book of Acts, which chronicle the life of the early church. By this time, Jesus has come. Uh, 
uh, and he's gone, he's come and ministered to his disciples and blessed the world. He died, was crucified and suffered, as was predicted by the prophets, to, care, to take care of the penalty for our sins. And he is at this point now resurrect, resurrected and reigning. And so at this point, we see the fruit of the obedience of the disciples. Jesus has empowered his disciples prior to him leaving with the Holy Spirit, and he gave them a great commission to go into all the world and to make disciples. And what we see in this little snippet and other passages like it is the fruit of the disciples' obedience, chief among them, the early church. And we see in this short passage here uh, what I often call a pastor's dream. This is a description of the kind of church uh, that any pastor would love to lead. Frankly, it's a good description of, I believe, what we have here on most days, right? Uh, but this is a picture of the early church, a picture of a healthy, not perfect Christian community. God is blessing this group of believers, and people are folding into this family over and over as they continue to live out this ministry existence. And part of this is happening because they are not forsaking the gathering of themselves together like loads of us in the 21st century are prone to do. I'm also struck by how it says that they met in the temple, like gathering corporately, gathering in big rooms, was not, not a part of their gathering rhythm. But I'm also struck by how much the scripture mentioned how they met together outside of the temple, outside of the big rooms, right? They broke bread together. And many of these congregations were small sort of house churches that were sort of meeting and connecting together in circles rather than sitting in rows. I notice, as a lover of small groups and as the architect of atmosphere in this particular Christian community, how much of the heavy lifting of transformation, sanctification, evangelism, discipleship, and leadership development happened not in the big room, not among the rows, but in the circles, in the small groups, in the homes, around coffee tables, and I wonder what the implications might be then for us today as we imagine this whole idea that circles are better than rows. I wanna give you this morning four reasons why circles are better than rows in my attempt to make a shameless plug for small groups and hopefully move you down that hallway after service toward the small group fair where, they, where we're ready, ink pens ready for you to sign up and engage a small group. Four reasons why circles are better than rows. The first is this, circles provide a better place for social connection. Social, circles provide a better place for social connection. And some super deep spiritual person might say in their mind today, preacher, I don't come here for social connection. Came to hear the word. I came to meet with God. And that's cool and everything, but I might suggest that maybe you should come to church for social connection. Maybe there is something deeply spiritual about the people part of Christian community. Maybe if you've chosen to leave the people out of the gathered body, maybe you might be leaving some money on the table. But circles provide a better place for social connection. 
the kind that you don't particularly get a deep level of on Sunday mornings in rows. In circles, you have an opportunity, a better opportunity to make friends, to go deep in relationships, in particular, and especially within, in a community like this, with folks who might be very different than you. And don't forget how important that is. That is to say that you're more likely to make friends in circles rather than rows. Do you know that God has hardwired us for relationships? Outside of our brokenness, outside of us sinning against each other, which might push us away from each other rather than toward one another, do you know that God has hardwired us for relationships? Which means that we ought to view fellowship as a discipline, among other things. Spiritually mature people practice disciplines. There's a whole list of them. We call them spiritual disciplines, right? And I think one sign of maturity is when you can do something well, you can do something faithfully, you can do something systematically, even if you don't want to do it. That is to say, a sign of maturity is not you gleefully doing only things that you want to do, but a sign of spiritual maturity is that you are regularly engaging in the practices, the disciplines, despite not wanting to do them. And the really mature people, the really faithful people, are the kinds of people where you can't really tell the stuff they like doing or don't like doing because they do the disciplined things in a way where you can't really tell whether they like them or not. You ever been talking to somebody and they say, oh, I hate doing that. But you've observed them as doing it so faithfully and doing it so well that you couldn't really tell whether they wanted to do it or not. Can I let you in on a little secret? Please don't let this leave the room. I don't always like being in a small group. And I run this place. I'm, most of the time, I'm leading the small group, but I don't want to go. I don't always like, in fact, it's probably true that I never, in those hours before small group, I never want to go. It seems often as the biggest imposition. But when I get there, and I see the people, I don't know about you, something shifts. You said, that never happened to me. Maybe you need a different small group, right? But it's a discipline because there's something about the people in those groups and the relationships formed there that God is doing heavy lifting uh, in these small groups. Annie Wilson, who is our small group coordinator, says this about her experiences with small groups. I have attended services here, she says, since November of uh, 2009, that's from the very beginning. While I have listened to many amazing sermons and teachings, thank you, Annie, I can't recall most of them. <laughs> but what I can recall is how the small groups I was a part of responded in our times of need and crisis. When our firstborn was 12 weeks early, to our miscarriages and other hard times in life, I can look back and see how those people gathered around us in prayer, love, and support. Some of my most precious relationships were formed in the small groups. Now, I'm sure Annie made some friends here on Sunday morning, 
But what she points to is those deep relationships where those people rallied around her, not just in the high times of her life, but in the crisis moments, she says, not me, she says those relationships were formed where? In circles and not rows. One of the greatest aspects of real Christian community is that you, you get friends. You get friends. Are they perfect? No. Are they in process? Yes. Do they make mistakes? Some of them, lots of mistakes. They can be selfish. They can drop the ball just like you, but you get friends. It's true that some of our biggest problems stems from the company we keep. Right? Some of you right now, your most regrettable things are connected to a certain person or a group of people, right? But it's also true that some of the best things about your life are also connected to people. Friends, good, godly people who have rubbed off on us over the years. And for some of us, the best gift God can give you outside of salvation is some solid, stable people to do life with. I'm talking about friends. Proverbs 18, chapter, chapter 18, verse 24 says, There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks what? Closer than a brother. Circles, small groups, provide that social connection that we need so badly. It is those people, those friends, that provide that spiritual formation that we so desperately need. It also forms, particularly in a context like this, that social formation, because if you are fortunate to go to a diverse church with folks from different sides of the tracks, folks who look different than you, who talk different than you, who vote different than you, who see the world differently from you, God can really use those instruments to take your tiny little world and break it open. Anybody had their world broken open by somebody who was different? You laugh because it's true. I had, I, you saw the picture of that first small group? I didn't have anything in common with any of those guys other than the fact that we were male and in college. And I'm telling you, I'm standing right here before you today because the Lord broke my world open because of the social connection that was provided by God in Christian community. Circles provide a better place for social connection. Second thing I want to point out is circles provide a better setting to go deeper in your faith. Boy, we can have a good time here in these rows. We're off to a good start this morning. The, the worship team has sang us happy. We have prayed about three or four times already. Hopefully, the preacher's going to land this thing soon and you can go home, right? We can have a good time in here. But the heavy lifting, as we try to go deeper in our faith, it don't happen in this room. Which is to say that if this is the only way you're engaging this community, don't stop. But you ain't getting the best that we have to offer. You're not getting our best. You said, man, I really like this church and I only come on Sunday morning. You haven't tapped into our best. You haven't tapped into God's best. Because the way you go deeper in your faith 
is in circles, less so in rows. Three things pop into my mind as I think about this particular point, evangelism, discipleship, and leadership development. Evangelism, discipleship, and leadership development. Let's not lose sight of the fact that real evangelism work is happening in those circles, right? Because there are tons of people who would never come to a place like this. Some people I've talked to said, man, if I walk in there, the place is going to fall down. But they might come to your small group. Especially, and I don't recommend this, if you don't tell them it's a small group, just invite them to a little get-together. I don't recommend that. <laughs> but these circles where the people of God on the mission of God open that holy book, fill that room with love, radical welcome, unconditional acceptance. It is a place where people are won over and re-won over for the gospel. I'm talking about a healthy group. It's the gospel in action. It's the gospel in close quarters. There is nothing like it. And for the person who is at square zero of faith, that is, they don't believe yet. They're wondering if this is true. They've gotten to a place in their heart, though, as one preacher put it, that they said, but if God was, if this stuff is true, I, 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 like, I want it to look like these people. Like, if the Christian life was real, if there was really a God who had a people and those people were actively, like, if that stuff was real, it would look like those people down at the small group. They're peeking in the window of faith. They're trying to see if there's anything to this. And they, at square zero, show up in a small group and are won over, not by our slick exposition of the scripture, not by the beautiful music we make as we sing worship songs, not by the culinary beauty of the charcuterie board that's out. All that stuff helps, but they are won over and re-won over by the power of God demonstrated through those people. Evangelism happens in the small groups. After all, it's right there in the commission. Go and make disciples. Go and tell people what you've been told. Go and open the book unto them, right? Baptize them. And Jesus says, I'm going to be with you the whole time. We're talking about evangelism. Whatever, what, what else happens? As, as, as somebody comes to faith, what, right, what's the next step? Discipleship. Discipleship is a medium-sized Christian word that simply means that somebody doesn't leave you where you are once you come to faith. Somebody links their arm around your arm and they start to walk with you the right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot steps that it takes for somebody to come from spiritual immaturity to uh, enjoying spiritual maturity. You don't grow on your own. You don't mature on your own. Your eyes aren't open in the ways that your eyes need to be open on your own. You need to be discipled. And how do we see discipleship modeled in the, in the scriptures? In small groups. I'm about to say something that might blow your mind. Jesus was in a small group. I'm just saying. Now, now, how, after I say something like that, how can you justify not being in a small group? Your Savior, bled, he died, 
but he was also in a small group, I'm just saying. And he taught those disciples who would go on to change the world and make disciples who would make disciples where the fruit of their obedience, he taught them, he demonstrated to them, he showed them what? In circles. He didn't do that in the crowds. He wasn't discipling the masses who had gathered to get the fishes and the loaves. Who was he discipling? Who was he pouring into? He was pouring into those who were around the table, who broke bread with them, who hung out with him. Did I say Jesus was in a small group? Because he was. Discipleship. You, you might get a little bit of that in the room like this, but you won't get much. Discipleship. Deeper in your faith. The other thing I see is leadership development happens. Because some people come to faith, and as they're walking that discipleship route, they and others discover, hey, there's something on this person. Look, when they invite people to church, they come. When they speak, people listen. Right? We're not typically discovering new leaders in this room. Right? We're not going, oh, that person has a really nice jacket on. I wonder if they can lead people. <laughs> Where are we discovering leaders? Where are we giving you opportunities, safe opportunities to try things and to fail and to look foolish and to learn and be pulled to the side and say, hey, don't ever do that again. <laughs> That's happening in the small groups. You're looking up in here and you're saying, dang, Andre is preaching and all oh, this person's doing announcements. This person leading the communion and this person's, oh, I wonder how they came to be platformed in that way. Are they the biggest giver? Are they really cool with the pastors? No, they showed up to a small group and, and, and through just doing life, the Lord highlighted them. And there's tons of leadership happening all throughout this church that you will never see on this stage. The people being met with and counseled and cared for. There are people watching your children right now. Actually, I'm watching you so that your kids can get the lesson. And all of those people somehow or the other were identified somehow or other as they faithfully showed up and got highlighted leadership and gifting, and they've gone deeper and deeper in their faith. Much of that happened not in a row, but in circles. Does this make sense what I'm saying? Am I making a good case for this? Some of you are like, I'm still not doing it. <laughs> I got two points left. Hang on. Third thing. <laughs> Uh, circles provide place for a place for support and accountability. Circles, small groups, provide a great place for support and accountability. You can get a little bit of that in the rows, but, but not, not a whole lot. Right? In short, a great place to give and receive love is in community. In the circles, not the road. When I say give and receive love, I mean uh, the full spectrum of Christian love. That warm, mushy, affectionate love, that unconditional support, the hugs, the kisses, the how you doing, 
that I was thinking about you, that I was just checking on you, like all of that warm, mushy love, like you get that in the small group. But some of you are like, I don't want anything to do with that. You just haven't experienced it yet. You want it. You know you want it. And that's one end of the spectrum. And then the, the other end of the spectrum is like the tough love. The tough love that don't always feel good, but it is good. You know, like a shot. You know, like root canal. Like surgery. It hurts. But the intent is healing, yes? You get that in circles, not so much in rows. Support and accountability. You get mirrors in those people who reflect back to you that you're an image bearer, that you're somebody in God, particularly when you're starting to believe a lie about the enemy. They surround you and say, you are somebody. You are a son and a daughter. Pick, son and a daughter, pick your head up. We got you. You ain't walking through this by yourself. And if you've never experienced that in the context of Christian community, you have been robbed. Or are you robbing yourself? Christian community. Love that looks and feels like love and support, right? Love also looks like accountability. It can be confrontational love. It can be the love that when done right, it's just what the doctor ordered. Anybody experience some of that accountability? Huh? You don't get this in rows. Accountability requires granting people access to your life, giving people permission to get all up in your business. You, you don't get that here. And some of you, that's why you prefer this space. <laughs> because you can hide. And we're not going to force, our, well, some of us aren't going to force ourselves, <laughs> pry ourselves into your business. Others of you, there's, there's some folks here who would. And maybe the spirit is leading them to do that. Sometimes they're just nosy. But it's really, <laughs> it's really hard though. I'm sorry, it's really easy to avoid accountability in, 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 in a space like this. It's harder though when you're in healthy circles. Amen. When you find people who care about you, not just to hug you and tell you it's going to be okay, but to ask you, where you been? To ask you, why'd you post that on Instagram? To ask you, who's that new person you're dating? Eight months, we, we ain't met him yet. What, what you trying to hide? Who's that man? That doesn't look like your husband. Who are you having lunch with? Oh, look, look, look. <laughs> or somebody that will help, help you stick to the goals you made and the dreams that God gave you. They said, when are you going to submit that application for that business? When are you going to go back to school? Like you said that, like this is accountability. It's not just like bad stuff, like people chastising you and say, hey, you said you want to do this. Let's go. You don't get that in the rows. You don't get it in the rose. And sometimes you have to invite some people 
I'm talking about circles. Support and accountability, the deep ends of the pool as it relates to love. Fourth and final thing, small groups serve to help meet our spiritual needs. Our spiritual needs. And you all have spiritual needs. And you all, since you're part of this body, have been tasked with helping to meet the spiritual needs of somebody else. This is why it, it, it bothers me, and I'm very suspicious of somebody who goes, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need small groups. I'm fine. It's just me and Jesus. Let's suppose you don't need a small group. But, but since you're so put together, since you've figured it out, why don't you take your put-together self into a small group and let us benefit from your put-togetherness? He said, that sounds kind of sarcastic. It is, because when you start hanging out with other people, they will invariably point out how not put together you are. And they will help you see just how much God loves you, but also how much of a mess you are. And if you don't subject yourself to that type of community, it's not going to come and wrestle you down. So all the things I've talked about up until this point, all point to our spiritual needs, the, the nutrients that we get to grow up in God. To grow up in God. You say, I come to church to grow up in God. Well, that's a part of it. But the granular aspects of spiritual maturity and growth come not in these rows, but they come in circles where they open the book and invite you to fall in love with, or fall in love again with the scripture. Look, we can meet any time and discuss social issues and do all sorts of activities and crafts, but the point of these small groups is to center Christ and him crucified, to engage us all again in the mission of God, to open the book. Like most of the small groups that meet will be, um, we'll be uh, using as their study guide uh, what we call lifelines that are created by Andrea Best. Basically, she is listening to any message and she is crafting questions and reflection questions and opportunities for discussion based on the message. So most of the small groups are just taking a deeper dive into what we talk about on Sunday morning, right? But we're, we're falling in love with the scripture again. You can't raise your hand in this setting and be like, what, what you say? Well, that don't make any sense, but boy, when we meet on, on like, right? And sometimes I'm challenged as the person who preached it. I thought, I, I, I thought that was pretty clear when I was preaching it, but clearly there are questions, opportunities to search the scriptures and to fall in love with the scriptures again, to worship God together. And do you know what people are talking about mostly when they're, when they're engaging in small groups, especially new people? They're talking about the opportunities we have to pray for one another. To pray for one another. Oh my goodness. As a person who's just been in small groups for decades, like I, I really appreciate the prayer, but I've just, it's just, it's like it's what we do in small groups. But these new people engaging spoke, they said, I never prayed out loud before. We were sitting in a group the last two sessions. We know this is a safe place to invite people not just to be prayed for, but say, hey, you want to pray? I don't really want to pray out loud. You can just pray for me. Okay, we ain't going to force you to do it. And wouldn't you know it, with my eyes closed, somebody who's never prayed out loud is praying. Right. 
Somebody who's new to the come Holy Spirit prayer of the vineyard says, I prayed come Holy Spirit and I felt the Spirit. Right? We're praying for somebody's back. We say, hey, you ever prayed for healing before? No, just, just come over here and participate in this. To be prayed for and to receive prayer. Much of the prayer that's happening here is happening by people who've been trained to be on this prayer team. But in small groups, everybody's been empowered. If you're going to stumble through it, if you're going to be clunky with it, do it in the safety of a small group. You want to stumble through a prayer for the first time? Stumble through an opportunity to give a word that God has given you to somebody else? We ain't going to give you a mic here. But you can stumble through in a small group where somebody might say, I don't think that's a good word for me. Thank you for trying, though. But you practice hearing from God, and you practice receiving from God, and spiritual needs are being met, and you're being built up. All of this is happening more so in circles than in rows. And in case you haven't put it together by now, this is really, really important. It's a really important part of what we do. And I'm talking to those of you, and we're going to get ready to play that video, guys. Um, I'm talking to those of you who are sitting not physically, outwardly, with arms folded, with a mind made up to say, I don't do that. We don't do that. I'm not going to nobody's house. I'm not doing it. And what I'm asking you to do, particularly as we engage this fast, in the next coming week is ask the Spirit. Ask the living God what we should do. Because God has something waiting for you in those small groups that will absolutely blow your mind. Here's the other part of this. God expects you to come to that small group bringing support bringing accountability, bringing thoughtfulness and presence because the community is a mutually beneficial arrangement. It's a mutual exchange of, of emotional, spiritual, relational goods and services. It's something where you can bring something, but you could also load your pockets with something and take some home. You understand what I'm saying? But don't take it from me. We got a video of some folks who uh, we asked to just talk a little bit about small groups. And so we're gonna play this video. I like to think of small groups as a defibrillator for me. It really uh, kind of just sparked um, just my, I would say my Christian life again. The best thing about small groups, honestly, I think is the the relationships. I always learn new faces and um, find people that I have maybe some similarities with. It was a great opportunity to get to know some people. I wouldn't know how to approach or how to talk with them on a deeper level if had, I hadn't known them from small groups. So I really felt like it was a close-knit group even though I didn't really know the people for very long. I've become friends with people and I care about them. The friends that I've made over the years through small group 
Um, sometimes those are, you know, lifelong friendships and sometimes they're for a season. You become friends, you become part of their family, you know about the kids. Just the sense of community. I think SSV does community so well. I feel like small groups are what really sold SSV for me. When I came to SSB, I considered myself an introvert. I was on the fence about small group for a very long time. I thought there was kind of a stereotype. I was a little bit nervous. I kind of uh, shied away from it because I thought I could make, you know, all my friendships I needed to make, you know, in just in church. But when I started going to small group, it was Zoom small group. Small group is meant to be interactive. There's a communal element you're interacting with. Um, other people either through Zoom or in person, it's more conversational. Having a conversation almost like you're at a campfire or you know, at somebody's house in the living room for a game night. I felt like I was back in biblical times, right? Of like, this is what the disciples did. They went to the homes, they worshiped together, they ate meals together. I just felt like it was really an honest and vulnerable space where everyone felt welcomed. I really did feel welcomed and it was just kind of come as you are. Just a safe place to, to talk about life. It was a judgment-free zone, like I felt comfortable asking any questions. Having a safe space to share your struggles. The closeness of people being able to hear their experiences, share their, you know, their knowledge and their worldview and their biblical worldview. Frameworks of how they see the world. So it challenges you to think about why, why do I have these set of assumptions and maybe this is true, maybe that's true and to work that out together with other people. People from different cultures, from different ages come together and discuss things from their own perspective. That gives us an opportunity to learn from each other. One of the ways that I've grown in my faith is by um, having to pray for people at small group. And not that you have to, but when somebody asks you to pray for them, uh, generally you do that. I felt uncomfortable praying and even just starting small and just learning how to pray and pray together was really helpful for me. My faith has grown tremendously, especially through small groups. I feel challenged to get into my word more often, to have personal time of worship. Spiritual giftings, just things that I hadn't thought about or just hadn't had an opportunity to practice a lot. I see their growth and I hopefully they see my growth. I really felt like that small group was able to um, help me grow in just even the basics or the foundations of Christianity. I would tell someone who is on the fence to just go, just try it out. Why not just uh, try it? There's nothing um, that can go wrong by just uh, showing up. If in the middle of the session you realize a small group isn't for you, I mean there's no harm in going to the person you connect with or the leader and saying this isn't for me. Would you recommend something else and trying a different small group? Are you looking for a safe place to to talk with like-minded people. I don't think I've known one person who, who's come to small group who said, you know what, I'm not going back. Get off the fence, just jump in, do it. I think there's a small group for everybody, whether you're very, very extroverted or very introverted or somewhere in between. What I've longed for is obvious um, in this community and uh, it's just refreshing. You know, just in a space where we can come together and just 
be real. Sometimes I can be a very independent person and think that I don't, I can carry everything on my own or just me and God can do it. And I think small groups helps remind me that I can't and that I need people. It's giving you more reason than just yourself to advance your relationship with God and other people. You should join small group. <laughs> small groups are amazing. Now, now some of you are at this point, you're like, oh, small groups, I'm gonna try it. Others of you are like, they're laying it on kind of thick today, aren't they? That's the point. We believe in this, and if somebody is nudging you toward a small group or inviting you to the small group, uh, they're not trying to bother you. <laughs> it's just that they are a, a, a thirsty person telling another per thirsty person where they found a drink. They are a hungry beggar telling another hungry beggar where they can go get some food, right? And it's because we believe that God is doing some really significant things in the context of our small groups uh, that we're inviting you to move toward them. And I'll say again that nobody has to do anything they don't want to do in this community. Nobody's going to force you and badge you. The only thing you got to do is be respectful to other people. That's all you got to do here. But I'm inviting you, uh, when small groups start in the next couple of uh, weeks, to move toward them rather than away from them. I'm inviting you specifically today, at the end of this service, to move uh, down to 105, which is where our small group fair is happening. And look, if you talk to these small group leaders, they're not going to badger you. If you sign up, you're signing up because you're interested in the small group. You are not making a commitment, although you should. Um, and so maybe your first step of obedience today is to uncross your arms and to stop telling God what you're not going to do. And rather your posture would be, come Holy Spirit. Show me what I don't see. Right? Move me toward those experiences and those things that I don't know I need yet. that your posture toward the Lord would be yes.